where over the next couple of weeks, uh, this week and next week, we're going to be talking about small groups. You, those of you who've been around Bayview for a little while know that we have something of a rhythm within the life of our church, and uh, that rhythm begins with what we call Invitation Sunday. That's when we preach the gospel, we present um, the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done, and uh, we make no apologies for the fact that the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes that there is, um, there is, there is hope uh, for us through the gospel. And we followed that up with uh, a couple of weeks uh, which are called Sunday Seminars, and we just finished two weeks of looking at um, uh, uh, emotional or to toxic emotions and how to deal with those emotions. Um, we looked at... Uh, Betrayal and shame. And that's uh, topics that are actually relevant, um, not just for us as followers of Jesus, but for everybody. Everybody in our world um, struggles with um, toxic emotions. We need to know how we can dispense of those. Uh, and many, many years ago, I spoke on the subject of betrayal. And um, it was a long time ago because um, my brother was listening to that particular message on a cassette player. Remember what a cassette is? Does anyone know what a cassette is? And he was travelling from Newcastle to Sydney and he had one of his co-workers, uh, one of his uh, staff in uh, the vehicle with him as they were driving down to Sydney. And my brother said, he's got, you've got a captive audience. So when the boss says, uh, would you mind if we listen to this tape, um, the, um, the, the person in the vehicle had no other option but to listen to my message on betrayal. As we're driving down to Sydney, uh, this young guy said, Michael, would you mind if we go and visit my dad, who I have a broken relationship with? Um, this tape, this message on betrayal has just so touched my heart, heart. Could we call in and see him? I know it's out of the way, but could we do that? So Michael said, yeah, sure. So they drove. Michael took him to his uh, father's place. Father and son reconciled, and within two weeks, dad died. You know, um, the, the message that church has is not just for us who are Christians, it's, but, but it's for everybody. It's relevant for everyone. So when we've done our Sunday seminars, we land in this place uh, like we do this week and next week, uh, looking at Christian basics, the foundations of what it means to be a Christian. Really, really important things that perhaps if we've been on the journey for a long time, we might have forgotten about, or if we're fairly new to faith, we might not understand that the really important foundation stones that need to be laid in our lives. And once we've done our Christian basics, we go into our deeper series, and that's where we get kind of, uh, you know, there's a difference between, uh, the Bible talks about the milk, which is what we're going to talk about today, the milk of the word. And then when we get into the deeper series, we look at the meat of the word, get into a bit more depth um, of, um, of teaching from the Bible. And so we're here this morning as part of our, series, uh, of our rhythm. We're looking at Christian basics. And we're going to talk about, um, about life groups. Uh, we as a, as a church have uh, developed or are still in the process of developing something called our Next Steps Pathway. And that, that part of that pathway, there are uh, various, uh, I guess, a process that we want to take people through, a journey that everybody who comes into Bayview, we want to participate in. Um, there is a Connect Pathway for those who are new to Bayview that we look at ways of integrating them into the life of the church. So a person uh, goes from being a visitor to somebody who becomes part of the life of our community. And then from uh, the Connect Pathway, there is a Life Group Pathway. 
And then following that is a pastoral care pathway. So when uh, there are needs in a uh, person or a family's life that transcend the ability of a life group to take care of, we have got a, a team which Lynn leads, a really effective team. And um, can I just say, Heather has been doing a great job in, in, uh, while, while uh, Lynn's been away on holidays. Just a great team of people that just step up to the plate and provide care for people uh, during their time of crises or challenge. Then we have a volunteer pathway. That's an opportunity for people to get involved in the life of the church. So everybody feels like they've got a part to play. And then there is a discipleship pathway. Our goal is to present, according to Ephesians, we're to present every person mature in Christ. And we want to provide every single person who is part of Bayview with an opportunity to grow and develop and mature in our faith. And so we have this next steps um, pathway. But can I just say that kind of the, the linchpin, the thing that holds us together is very much a life group pathway. And it's the key uh, which is part of our next steps um, process. Now, we call um, um, small groups here life groups. Um, some churches call them connect groups. I grew up in the area when they were called home groups. Or small, who, who remembers home groups or small groups, connect groups, whatever, um, whatever uh, uh, term uh, we might give them. But I wanted to say life groups or meeting together in small groups uh, is incredibly important. I know from my own life, my own journey as a Christian, that, that small groups have played an integral part of uh, my development in my, in my Christian faith. Um, I was actually baptized in water in a life group. So I was part of a life group um, as a new Christian. I was in New Zealand, and the life group that I was part of, I was baptized in somebody's bathtub um, in their house. Um, it was uh, in a life group that I first learned to pray out loud in front of other people. It was in a life group that I learned to pray for other people. It was in a life group that I learned to ask questions and was able to glean the wisdom of the years of experience and the maturity of, of, uh, of older Christians. You know, uh, when you're a new Christian, um, you know, you kind of think, how, how am I going to make this thing work? How am I going to make Christianity work? And then you meet people who've been on the journey for decades and decades and decades. And it provides kind of sense of hope that, you know, one day I'll get, I'll get to that, that place myself. It was in a life group that I learned to lead worship. Um, I had three chords and a capo. And a capo is a little thing that can, you can change the keys on your guitar. But I had a few chords, and that's how I learned to lead worship, was in a life group, um, singing, um, Bind Us Together, Lord. We won't go there. If Mike was preaching a sermon, he would launch into that song right now. It was in a life group that I learned to develop my leadership skills. Whenever you, every, every life group has at least one problem person in it. If you're, if you're part of a life group and you can't think of who the problem person is, you're probably the problem person, okay? <laughs> Every life group has at least one problem person. And when you're leading a life group, you've got to figure out, how do I stop this person from dominating all of the conversation? So you then have to go and have the conversation with that person and say, hey, you know... 
when we meet, you know, this life group is not just about you. There are other people that need. And so you have to overcome those fears of challenging people. I can see some people nodding heads. They've had those conversations before. It was in a life group that I learned to hear the voice of God and operate in what the Bible calls the gifts of the Spirit. You kind of hear from God and you'd be able to say to somebody, Hey, Lynn, I think you're a bit discouraged at the moment. And I just feel like God wants to um, en encourage you with this scripture. That's where I learned to do that in a life group. That's, that's where I learned to kind of hear the voice of God and be able to sow encouragement in people's lives. And it's also the place where I met, met people and built friendships. I was uh, in my mid-twenties and uh, my friend Andrew and I decided we'd start up a life group. And um, we met at his house and the first week um, we had 30 people rock up. And we thought, well, wow, that's pretty impressive. Uh, we better remove a wall. So we pulled out a wall uh, of his house so we could fit more people. The next week, there were 70 people at this life group. Uh, it's not really a life group anymore when you've got 70 people. Um, and we didn't really understand anything about church planning back then. We just thought we've got a life group with 70 people. And so what we did is we would all sing together. And then we broke up into little groups and met around the house. And then we'd come back together for supper uh, at the end. And it was a pretty dynamic um, um, environment to be in. And one of the people who attended that group was um, a girl who was really completely over the top. I'd never met a Christian quite like this girl before. She was a punk. Um, she, um, she was pretty wild. And uh, she rocked up at our life group. And I thought, my goodness me, who is this woman and where did she come from? Anyway, one night after um, our life group meeting, she said, oh, Stephen, could I, could I talk with you, please? And I went, yeah, sure, I'd love to. Um, we found a quiet place. And she said, I just want to let you know that I actually like you. And here's a picture of this uh, woman now. So here we are, 30 years later. I want to tell you, life groups are fantastic because you can meet your future life partner in a life group. That's Louise. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know that this old lady, grey-haired grandmother that sits here um, with very conservative? That was the, that's the real her. I just happened to tone her right down and just um, brings her. Small groups are fantastic. You can meet your spouse in a life group. Single people, get yourself involved in a life group. You never know who you're going to meet there. A couple of years later, Louise and I went to, uh, went to the UK. We were involved in doing missions work into Eastern Europe, but based in the northwest of England. We were in this tiny little village, and we just couldn't find um, a church there that was that suited us so we had another a, a couple from australia who were there with us and we we were chatting one night we're praying and we said look why don't we just start up a life group um we'll just see if anybody wants to join us because there's no church here that is meeting our needs and so we we invited some folks along and uh, the first week we had uh, we again we had 30 people turn up for our life group and then the next week there was uh, 50 people and then we realized, because in England, houses are much smaller generally than they are here, um, we actually had a, we had a church. 
um, emerged out of what was initially a life group. And I'm not advocating at all that life groups should become big. In fact, I think um, life groups should actually um, stay, stay small. And think beyond a dozen people is actually no longer a life group. It's, it's, it's morphed into something else, but it's not really a life group. Here is a definition of a small group. Uh, a, a, a simple definition of a small group is a micro-community of 3 to 12 Jesus followers doing the Christian life deeply together. I like that. Doing the Christian life deeply together. If honesty and vulnerability are necessary for spiritual growth, group dynamics would tell us that the levels of transparency that make this possible won't happen if the group is made up of more than 12 or less than 3 individuals. So where does this idea of, um, of Christians meeting together in small groups come from? Well, I want to say I believe that it originates in, with, with Jesus. If you have a look at the life of Christ, um, you see that he had relational circles. Um, he had a relational circle of one, which was uh, him and um, God the Father. Then there was another uh, relational circle that Jesus uh, was involved in. That was with the three, uh, Peter... James and John. So Jesus had a close-knit friendship uh, with, with uh, three people. Then there was another um, layer, relational circle, and that was the 12. That was the 12 disciples of which, of which Peter, James, and John were part of. Then there was a bigger um, circle of relationship. That was the 70 or the 70, 72. That was his outer discipleship circle. And then beyond that was was the crowd. But if you have a look at Jesus' model of ministry, it was to invite a small group of people, the 12, to be with him so that he could invest his life in them. And in Mark 3.14, it says that Jesus appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And so what Jesus did was he invested in, in the few for the sake of the many. He had a Jesus methodology or strategy for reaching the world was actually a small group. That was his strategy for changing and transforming the world, was investing in the few for the sake of the many. So this idea of small groups, I believe, originates with Christ. Then there was the first Christians. And I believe what the first Christians did was they were trying to contextualize what they would, had witnessed um, Jesus doing. And so if you study um, the book of Acts, or if you look at the church um, in Jerusalem, it's actually quite fascinating what took place. In Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 15, um, this is... Just after Jesus has, has uh, died and, and uh, been raised from the dead, it says, In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. So how many people were in the church, roughly? 120. So after the resurrection, there were about 120. Uh, the church was made up of about 120 followers of Christ. Um, the next chapter on, it says in uh, chapter 2, verse 41, it says, Those, this is on the day of Pentecost, those who believed what Peter said, he preached a great sermon. Those who uh, believed what Peter said were baptized and added to, to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So the church has gone from 120 to 
3,000 in the space of a day. Now, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? That's quite, quite, quite dramatic growth. But there was 3,000 people were added to the church. Then uh, a couple of chapters later, Acts chapter 4, this is all taking place in one church in the city of Jerusalem. It says, but many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men um, who believed now told about 5,000. So it's fairly patriarchal kind of uh, thinking here. But it says there were 5,000 men who now believed. So we've gone from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 men. So if there are about 5,000 men, you would suspect the church would be around about, if you added women and children, maybe it's about 15,000, perhaps. But anyway, it's big. Um, Then in the next chapter, chapter 5, verse 14, it says, Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. So they've moved beyond patriarchy and they're actually acknowledging that women now uh, are coming to the church. And it says uh, crowds, there are crowds coming. There's mul- some translations talk about multitudes. Then again in chapter 6, it says during these days, the number of Jesus' followers kept multiplying greatly. Um, so the church has moved from adding, remember, the Lord added to the church, has gone from ad- addition now into the realm of multiplication there is exponential growth is 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 taking place significant there is a multiplication process that's going on then in then in acts chapter 21 and verse 20 it says you should know brother that there are many tens of thousands of jews who have also embraced the faith now what they estimate is within the first 20 years of the church's existence in jerusalem there were about one 100,000 Christians who were part of the church in Jerusalem. So it's gone from 120 to about 100,000 people in the space of 20 years. That is phenomenal growth. That, that was in a city where the population is estimated to be between 200 and perhaps at the most, 250,000 people. So about half the population of Jerusalem are now followers of Jesus. That's pretty exciting. Imagine if half the population of Rosebud or the peninsula were Christians. Um, so how did the church manage or administrate? What was the structure and the strategy of the early church? What did they put in place to manage all of this growth that was taking place? What methodology was, was implemented? Well, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, it says, Daily they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes. The so temple courts and one another's homes. And then in chapter 5 and verse 42, it says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continue to teach and preach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. So we see what the early church did was they met in two places. Uh, there was the temple, the temple, they didn't meet in the temple because there's only one person that went into actually into the temple uh, uh, itself was the high priest on the day of atonement. But they met in, the, in the, what was called the temple courts. And the temple courts could accommodate about 50,000 people. It was quite a large 
area. Um, but the other place that this growing church met was also what? House to house. And so the methodology of early church gatherings was uh, twofold. There was corporate worship, which took place in, in the temple courts. Hundreds, probably thousands, if not tens of thousands of people would gather to be taught and instructed in a, in a large in a large group setting, but then they also met in small groups for fellowship and for an outworking of the things that they were hearing in the temple courts. And I have the conviction that that same principle applies to us today, that the church structure needs to be both big, temple court, like this, what we do here on a Sunday, but it also needs to be drilled down to a small scale as well. We need to be meeting house to house or cafe to cafe or in, in, somewhere other than in a large environment. We need to be meeting together with other Christians within a small group context. And if you have a look at not just what, what you see in the Bible uh, there in the early church, but what you see in church history as well, bears witness to the fact that um, small groups have been part of the church's culture. There is um, John Wesley, who was called um, the father of the uh, modern small group movement. Um, in the 18th century, um, John Wesley, who was the, the um, start up the Methodist movement, um, they had what ran what were called class meetings, which is what we would call a small group. And this is what um, somebody has written about these class meetings. It says, class meetings were intentionally limited to a small group composed of only 10 to 12 members. The group met once a week for an hour with the aim of maintaining personal supervision of the group's spiritual growth. Each member frankly and honestly um, shared his or her victories and struggles with others. And the groups were co-educational in composition and often were a curious mixture of age, social status and spiritual maturity. Within each class, Wesley intended a blending of the seasoned saints with babes in Christ as a means of educating and encouraging the newest converts. So it's kind of this mix of people under the Wesleyan movement where they would meet in these class meetings. So... Why are small groups so important? Well, number one, um, Sunday services like, like this morning, which would be the equivalent to a, a temple-type a temple meeting, there are limitations. There are limitations to what we can achieve here on a Sunday morning. Um, there are only a limited number of people that get to actually um, hold the microphone and... Um, um, participate in upfront public ministry. And if you like, it's, it's almost like it's become prof profession professionalised. That's the kind of world that we live in today, whereas a professional ministry who conduct the, the, the religious services. And that has lots and lots of limitations attached to it. Many, many limitations, which... Um, um, uh, we don't want to go into but it's still important. It's incredibly important and very, very valuable, but it has limitations. Secondly, small groups are important because we're part of the family. The primary metaphor for the church is what? Family. That's a, thank you, Barbara. You've listened to my messages in days gone by. The primary metaphor for the church is family. 
Sometimes the Bible is referred to as an army, as a, a field, as um, this, that and the other. But the primary uh, metaphor is we are first and foremost a family. Um, just here's a, a scripture in Ephesians 2.19. So now, so now you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. And so we meet together in small groups because we're a family. And families do stuff together. Secondly, uh, we meet in small groups because we actually need each other. Um, and Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us be in, uh, concerned for one another to help one another, to show love and do good. Um, number four, um, life groups are incredibly important because it's where we get to learn from each other. This morning, you're primarily learning from me because I'm the one with the microphone. But what you can do is take what is shared this morning and in your life groups... Unpack that and analyze it and say, I don't understand that. Why, 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 why this? Why that? Or, ah, have you, have you thought about this? And so life groups provide us with an opportunity to learn from one another. Um, we also, life groups are important because we need to be accountable. You know, all of us came here to church this morning wearing our Sunday best. If not... Clothing-wise, we wore our Sunday best. We came with a smile on our face. I've got a little grandson who's uh, in hospital, really, really unwell. People have asked me this morning, how are you doing? Yeah, good. No, I'm falling apart on the inside, actually. But we pretend, don't we? We, we? we wear our Sunday best. But we all know that, scratch the surface, our life is a mix of both good Bad and very ordinary stuff, isn't it? But all we present at church generally is the good. Because that's what we want everybody to say. There's nothing bad wrong with that. That's just, we're social creatures. That's how, how social beings operate in our world. Um, but we need a place where, you know, where it talks about the class um, meetings of Wesley, where we can be, uh, what, did, what did it say, frankly, frankly and honestly share his or her victories and struggles with others. We need an environment where we can be accountable. And so in Hebrews 3.13, it says, You must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. And then Galatians 6.1, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. So there is a sense in which we're accountable about what's going on underneath the surface. Small groups are important because Christ is present when we gather. Matthew 18 says, For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Also, there is power in togetherness. Matthew 18 says, And I tell you more, whenever two of you on earth agree about anything for you, anything you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Also, small groups provide us with an opportunity to be a witness um, to the world. And um, I think I've shared the story before about uh, a young couple in our church who are part of a, 
part of a life group and uh, they reached out to a neighbour who, had, a young girl who had broken her leg, um, couldn't work, had not, she was a uni student, she couldn't um, uh, provide for herself and so Charlie and Nay and those around Charlie and Nay came to the, this young girl Amanda's rescue. They would buy her groceries, they would do for her what nobody else was doing for her, not even her family were helping her out. And Amanda uh, came to Christ as a result of that small group of people gathering around her, providing for her needs. And then Amanda uh, got, uh, became a Christian, became part of our family. She's kind of like our adopted daughter. And she's now um, um, head of, uh, not head, but second in charge of the Department of Public Prosecutions in Newcastle. And so her story traces back to a small group of people who just loved her and who were a witness to her. Number nine, small groups are important because we can serve each other. 1 Peter 4 says, God has given each of you a gift from his variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And number 10, small groups are important because we can encourage one another in those settings. It says, let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing. Instead, let us encourage one another. So, life groups are important. They're biblical. They have their origin in Christ. They have a, a rich history within uh, the Bible and within church history. Um, can I just say, actually, life groups are not an optional extra. If you want to grow, if, if you want to uh, develop in your faith, if you want to um, expand uh, your, your um, ability as a, as a follower of Christ, we want to encourage you to get involved in a life group. And next week, John is going to be, we're going to relaunch our life groups here at Bayview. And we're going to tell you that I think John and Helen have come up with this great concept one plus one plus Jesus equals a life group. Um, the ideas that, that they've come up with is not limiting uh, meeting within a home, but in cafes or uh, prayer walking, whatever, whatever environment kind of um, stirs you can be a life group. And we want to relaunch that next week. And so um, I encourage you to be thinking about your participation and place within a small group. Amen.